SMX Insider, Jason Wygant and Daniel Blair here to break down Monster Energy AMA Supercross and the Super Motocross World Championship in Glendale, Arizona. So yeah, Daniel, we had this big battle coming in. Two riders, Cooper Webb, Eli Tomac tied for the points lead. Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. And if you're Eli Tomac, you're probably pretty happy with the, thi uh, the way things went, not only for your own individual performance, but the fact that Cooper Webb had a interesting night, Jason. Let's just say interesting. We'll get into that. Uh, but I, I'm just wondering what the mood is like right now for Webb and KTM versus Tomac and Yamaha because that went perfect for Eli and had, a, had the potential to be really good for Cooper too, but did not end that way. Yeah, we'll see. We've been talking quite a bit about the different tracks and venues and how they work for other riders. If you're Webb, you got to hope that another track works better for you to get it back. I think on any track in the 250 class, we know a Lawrence brother is probably the favorite, except in these triple crowns finally done we can finally put this triple crown thing to bed at least for jet lawrence yeah no track issue for jet it's a format issue and it is a format issue no longer and it's funny too because they tried to play off like it wasn't that big of a deal did you see the emotion it was a big deal and for him that was his last chance to get one on a 250 and he did uh but don't give me this oh it wasn't a big deal thing jason you saw the emotion it was real yeah, and Tomac was pretty pumped as well because even Tomac said, I had not won a Triple Crown this year. I'd crashed in the two uh, Anaheim and Dallas races earlier. So uh, that was a big deal for both of these riders to get it. We'll break it all down today. Okay, it's big interview time. Kind of. Took 19 episodes to break in case of emergency. Steve Mathis from Pulpamex is joining us on the show. I guess we've run out of good ideas. Steve. It is at least a very close and exciting championship, so we can talk about that. Uh, maybe Glendale wasn't quite the barn burner race we were hoping for, but overall this season has been unbelievable, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and yeah, I'm surprised that you guys ran out of guests this early. Very surprising, but um, yeah, good guest. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it, it Glendale wasn't great. Triple Crowns usually deliver. This one was just, well, whatever, but the season has been fantastic, right? It's just been amazing, and then kind of when you start seeing the championship guys rise up and we start seeing some separation now justin barsha's in the mix and riding better than ever right and we're still waiting on anderson and of course sexton can win anytime i think sexton's out of this thing i know some people don't but i just don't see him having the ability to jump two all-timers uh with the last uh, few remaining races to go but it's been great and then barsha kind of coming on has really added something to it because as we all know he's pure entertainment um, it's been a great season. It really has. Uh, it's cool to watch these guys push each other to the limit. The, the, the level is high. And, uh, and then don't forget about the 94. He, he can seemingly pull off something uh, at some point. Steve, when you look at the field right now, you said Barsha, Anderson, all these names. Obviously, the focus in the championship is between the two. So what's your thoughts on Cooper Webb and Eli Tomac having to deal with these guys that are still hungry, chasing contracts, um, having success? It seems to me like we have a two-rider fight for the title, but there's like these moving obstacles that are going to play a role here all the way to the end. Yeah, I, I agree, right? These guys, none of them want anything to do with Bam Bam. They just, they're not involved. They don't want to deal with it. We saw Cooper uh, this weekend ride pretty tenderly around him. But, I mean, look, these two guys, I, I mean, Eli's got the wins, but Cooper just does his webby, Cooper webby things, and he pulls it off and he makes it happen. Both of these guys have such strengths and, and, and um, strengths going forward with the rest of the races that you're kind of looking at them as pretty even, right? If Eli can nail these starts, which he did at Glendale, then things may change from there. But 
I don't know, man. I, you look at the strengths and the and the of both of these riders, and I don't know who's going to give first. Those seven points at Glendale are huge, right? Going forward, that's going to be tough for Coop to kind of chip away at that. But guess who's had some weirdo races? Yeah, Eli Tomac, right? So um, why can't it happen one more time? Just off on the day, set up. His neck is sore again. I don't know. But to me, when I'm looking at it, like I just flip a coin, man. I don't know. I guess I'm going with Tomac because. I said that beginning of the year, but really, seriously, flip a coin between these two guys. Uh, you got to think this weekend's track in Atlanta. Uh, Cooper Webb will be right back at home looking to make up some time. Okay, so that's interesting enough, but we're going to bring you back on the show later because perhaps even more intriguing than the championship is almost every top rider's contract is up, and there are so many rumors about who's going where and switching teams for next year. So, Steve, I hate to do this. We're going to bring you back even again later in the show to talk mm. silly season, okay? Well, that's because of the quality of the interview that I just did. So I get it. Mm. Time for 30-second board hot topics here. Leaving Glendale, the obvious one, the hottest, is Eli Tomac. Wins a triple crown again. And, oh, by the way, more history made, Daniel. Jason, if you were to ask Eli Tomac right now, what's more meaningful? The 51st win of his career, number two all-time, all alone, or the seven points he got on Webb in Glendale, which one do you think he would choose? Yeah, he's been ducking the historical thing all year long. He's only worried about the next race, the next point, the next title. So we know what his answer is, but maybe someday, maybe someday he finally looks back and exhales on this. He's going to have to. I mean, come on, Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart. Those two names in this sport are like so unbelievably legendary for so many reasons and he just went by both of them so sorry eli but we're gonna recognize it now maybe you will someday but man was he good on that night again coming out of the break hyping up this championship titan battle between the two and jason he took care of his business so eli we're gonna give you the love you deserve on glendale because you do but man 51 51 i don't think you're getting to the king so guess what you'll never have to probably hear about this again he took care of some other business, too. I didn't even realize this. I'm announcing opening ceremonies on the floor, and I didn't know what was going on here. Credit to our Will Christian from the broadcast team for picking this out. There was a gender reveal for his truck driver in opening ceremonies for Eli. How rad is that? He comes out opening ceremonies, gases the throttle. Um, you know, the, the, the fumes out of the exhaust are a... It was meant to be pink. It was a little bit of a darker pink, but they, they figured out right away that his... His bus driver, who he said has become part of his family, is now going to be a dad, bring a girl into the world. And what better way to do it? I've seen them all over the internet, Jason, but to have opening ceremonies at Supercross find out the gender of your baby. I, that's a first and probably one of the raddest things I've seen this year. Now, we always like Triple Crowns, and we anticipated a topsy-turvy, you don't know who's going to win to the finale race like we had at Anaheim 2 and Arlington. Not quite this time. More Tomac love here. This would have came down to, to, for me, this track kept everyone close in times, but Eli was the only one that had three good starts. I believe we are now in a world where Eli Tomac might be the best starter in the 450 class. That surprises me more than hearing he's second all time and wins. Yeah, go figure. Eli Tomac is an incredible starter now, and it started a year ago at Glendale. He was starting outside of the doghouse. Everyone's wondering why he's doing that. He nailed three good starts there. Then he comes around a year later, and it's all starting to make sense. He's executing off the gate, and his line choice on the gate has played a role, too. So, yes, in a Triple Crown format where you need to be good in all three starts, Jason, he was the only one to be good in all three starts, which goes to Chase Sexton. He was fast. He was great at moments. But in the one start that mattered for him, the first one, he didn't get it, and he didn't get the win. 
Yeah, and same thing for Webb. Webb was very good, actually, in the first race. Shadowed Tomac most of the way. On a track, we figured Tomac would be significantly better than him, but then starts weren't there in the next two, and that led to chaos for Webb. And worst case scenario for him, he finds himself battling Jason Anderson and Justin Barsha, and he knows, we know, everybody knows, you do not want to have to go through those guys to make up points. And Jason, I think that's what actually led to the night falling apart for Cooper Webb. He didn't get the start in race two, found himself in a battle with Jason Anderson, a battle that ended up uh, having some serious implications. Webb goes inside, tangles with Anderson the next corner. Anderson holds him high, no drive to the whoops. Barsha ends up passing him. And now you're back in a battle with the two people you would never, ever, ever want to be around if you're in a championship fight with Eli Tomac. And it all started with the start, with his gate pick, his execution. And now he's back there in the middle of those two. Uh, speaking of Cooper Webb and Chase Sexton and Eli Tomac, Jason, we keep talking silly season. We think that those are maybe the first shoes to drop and everything will settle from there. But let's get uh, Steve Mathis back on and touch on the silly season and see what he knows. All right, 30-second board. We want to talk silly season here. So regrettably, we're going to bring Steve Mathis back again from Pulp MX to talk about this because it is a huge topic. If you remember Supercross last year, the biggest story was Eli Tomac switches teams better than ever. Jason Anderson switches teams better than ever. Most people had multi-year deals. So we're back into that cycle, headed into 2024. Honestly, Steve, this might be the wildest silly season. Christian Craig, multi-year deal. Uh, Adam seems to multi-year deal. And we think Barsha is going to re-sign with Gas Gas. That's it. Everybody else up for grabs still. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts, right? And Barsha just confirmed the two-year deal like last week uh, on the Pulp MX show. So... We're looking at, yeah, everyone's open, right? But from what I hear from behind the scenes, it still all starts with that Tomac guy. Uh, I didn't think he was coming back for SMX and the outdoors, and he committed to it. And so now, what does he do for 2024? Everyone's kind of waiting on that. We know Cooper Webb used to ride for that team and is tight with the owner. From what I hear behind the scenes, it's all uh, based on what Tomac does, and then the chips will fall after that. I think if Tomac stays there, then Cooper Webb's gonna stay at KTM. Uh, we think Chase Sexton moves over there. I believe that's a done deal. And then if Eli doesn't come back, I think Cooper Webb ends up back at his old team at Star Yamaha, and and will the chips will fall from there. But uh, Aaron Plessinger is certainly one guy that's waiting to see what happens because that KTM, uh, we don't know if they're going to carry three guys or not. So yeah, like you said, you guys, there's a lot to get into, and it's going to be interesting to see. I find my listeners, uh, people that read my stuff, people that listen to my stuff, they can't get enough of this. I know it bugs the crap out of the teams and the riders in the pits, but frankly, I don't care. Uh, the people want this. The fans of the sport want to hear what's going on behind the scenes, and I try to try to uh, dish it out uh, much to the anger of some people in the pits. Steve, if the 450 class is a waiting game for Eli Tomac, right? You start at the top and you work your way down. Then explain the 250 class where you have guys heading out, so now a void at the top. I'm hearing Shimoda and Kitchen and all these guys getting offers everywhere. Uh, let's talk 250 for a sec. Yeah, I definitely think uh, Levi Kitchen and Joe Schmoder are the top of the heap right now for that uh, on going forward. Poor Mitch Payton right now. He can't seem to keep his guys healthy and on the track, and he might lose his star, Joe Schmoda, to Honda from what I hear. Uh, the Honda guys, as you guys know, they can do their own clothing deals. They can do their own helmet deals. Financially, if Honda wants you in a 250 bike, and, and, and that's only applies to the 1% in this class. You have to go there. It's a great team, great bike, and then the financially you can make so much more money. Uh, Levi Kitchen's going to go, I believe, to KTM, and then it'll start falling forward from there. Uh, I think Bobby Reagan has a spot or two open 
And uh, it kind of goes, you know, being in that class, the bike is so important. So everyone's going to try to go over to Star if they can uh, after Shimoda and Kitchen. Hey, look, you casually mentioned something that we've been hearing about, honestly, since last summer, which is that Chase Sexton is going to go to Red Bull KTM. I have heard a few rumors. I actually heard recently that Cowie has now been talking to people, uh, maybe Webb, maybe Sexton, just to see if they're available, which that's going to be Anderson's spot because Central is already signed for next year. So, but despite all that talk with Cowie looking around, you still think Sexton is KTM next year? Yeah, I think Kawasaki reached out to Cooper Webb and was kind of seeing what was going on. But from what I hear, Cowie was like, you have to stay in California full time. That's part of the deal. And, and that was the deal breaker. And so that's not going to happen. Um, I don't know if there was ever an offer or just informal talks. But yes, I think Sexton goes to Red Bull KTM. I know people in the media don't want to talk about it. People don't want to ask Chase about it. And I and I get that. I'm not going to ask Chase about it either. It's it's a it's a weird situation because there's a letter of intent there from what I know. And uh, somebody could step in, Honda could step in and, and change things up if he wanted to. But yeah, I think he's going to Red Bull KTM. Uh, that'll be interesting. And I, I think if everything went perfect this Supercross season, maybe he could get out of that letter of intent. Uh, Honda could match it. You know, all the things that legally Honda can do on a contract wise. But with Chase Sexton seemingly having some weird issues and crashing, uh, I got to believe him and his family and his camp are, are looking for a fresh start on a bike that they you know feel can doesn't throw them out, throw him away late in the race. Yeah, and then you have Jet Lawrence moving to the Honda 450 squad next year, but then we also are going to have the question of who's going to be with him. Is his brother going to move up also? Will Honda still need a second 450 guy if Sexton's out? So still a lot of questions that are going to be answered between now and 2024. But again, regrettably, I got to say, Steve, you did a pretty good job here. So thanks for the info. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I look forward to maybe being a weekly guest. What do you think? Weekly? No, we got to move on. We got to move on. Cut the camera. Okay, now let's move to the 250 class here in 32nd board. Finally, it's over. I interviewed Jet Lawrence after the first qualifying session, and he even acknowledged the I haven't won a triple crown thing because he said, I knew you guys were going to ask about it anyway. So good news for him. We're no longer going to ask about it. Yeah, and I want to touch on this gear thing, okay, this break the curse gear thing. I'm hearing that, oh, they're denying that. No, they are not. Trust me. I talked to their camp the morning of the race. They said they were going to run three separate gear kits, all race winning. Jason, this isn't even like another clean pair. We're talking the actual gear he raced in when he won. That's how serious they were to break the curse. But then there was a little curveball. Alpine Star said, no, you're going to switch back to your practice gear. Uh, but no, don't let him deny it. They were really looking at this as a curse. And he did break it um, with the help of his skills, not his gear choice. That's really funny to me because for pretty much 99.9% .9 of motocross riders out there, you're always wearing gear that you've worn before. But at the factory level, the fact that you're wearing gear that you've raced in one time before is like shocking news throughout the pits. Shows how the, the other side lives. But it's really cool what's happening in the 250 class. Starting this year at Anaheim 1, for the first time ever, the top three 250 riders get invited to be part of opening ceremonies. And this meant a ton to Freckle, the veteran Mitchell Oldenburg. It's like a life goal achieved. How rad is that, Jason? I mean, he now has a thousand points in the 250 class. You think he cares? No, it's that 10 seconds of opening ceremonies, which, Jason, you've, you've seen these crowds. They go nuts. The fireworks, the smoke show. To be a part of that, even if it's just for 10 seconds, for a rider like Mitchell Oldenburg, it's, it's 10 seconds he'll always remember. And it, it's a feeling I'm sure that he's never felt before, having everyone focused just on him and the lights and the music and the sound. So I, they do an incredible job, but to be a part of that for someone like Mitchell Oldenburg, uh, it's just a huge, huge accomplishment for him and his team. 
dream come true for me. Uh, obviously, a little kid coming to the races. Uh, yeah, I never thought it was going to happen, honestly, because I've been in the 250 class for so long and never really had the 450 future, I guess. And then this year, that was the goal when I found out that a couple 250 guys got to do opening ceremonies. So uh, excited. Bum for Cameron, obviously. That sucks that he had a, had a mishap this week. But uh, yeah, I just get to live one of my, uh, my dreams come out opening ceremonies. Yeah, I know Tony Alessi, Mike Genova, everyone there at Moto Concepts is really happy to get in. Let's uh, move the focus to 250 East now. We're going to Atlanta. Kind of similar story there to the West. Lawrence brother, Hunter in this case, with a big points lead. But I think of Atlanta, I think Nate Thrasher is where he kind of really put himself on the map as a race winner. He's very good here, so it's not over yet. Yeah, from a points perspective, maybe it's not the most interesting situation, but from an individual race, it is. Thrasher's great there. Jordan Smith, how are you going to respond from not making the main in Detroit? Hayden Deegan, got a podium in Detroit. How are you going to be with a couple weeks off, and now you're going to a racetrack that's not that far from where you practice and train? I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited for the 250 East. Just don't count on anything happening too spicy in the championship unless Hunter Lawrence somehow magically just decides to not be incredibly perfect like he's been almost all year. Look, we just want both Lawrence brothers to be healthy and ready when they have the showdown in a couple of weeks. One other story here, Supercross Futures. We have a new winner. Daxton Bennett had won the first two Futures rounds of the year. Julian Bomer bust out his first ever win, but this is bigger than that. Bomer's career here, now as a factory amateur at KTM, was birthed, was born, was created with Supercross Futures as a scouting tool. Tell the story, Daniel. Yeah, well, for Julian Bomer, he's been around for a few years. People recognize that he's a good rider. He has talent, but you're a little unsure of these kids coming up, what they're going to be. But he comes out at Anaheim 2, sets the fastest time of anybody in Futures, and was fourth overall in the 250 West. The next thing you know, Star Yamaha's walking over talking to him. KTM's talking to him. He gets a ride, and then two races later, wins a Supercross Futures race uh, with all of his friends and family around to boot. So, yes, the program itself is awesome. Gives the kids a chance to race under the lights and in the crowd. Uh, but for me, the most important part of Futures and why it's going to be successful is it allows these kids to race against the kids they've raced their whole life. You don't have to race Hampshire and Shimoda and the Lawrence brothers. No, you can start here. And um, and again, this program gave birth to a rider who had a lot of skill that needed to show the factories on a real track. He did that, and now he's arrived. It's, it's awesome. It worked perfectly, and that's the way it was designed to work all along. All 31 Super Motocross World Championship events can be streamed domestically. That's here in the U.S. on Peacock. To subscribe, go to PeacockTV.com slash sports slash Supermotocross. And for the fans of Supermotocross, they'll have a chance to watch it all year long on Peacock, NBC, and USA Network. And for the international fans, you can join in the fun by getting the Supermotocross video pass. Go to Supermotocross.tv to purchase access to every moment of the 2023 Supercross season, the Pro Motocross season, and of course, Supermotocross live events in one place. Plus... Get over 800 plus hours of archived races. All right, next segment of the show here, welcoming in Clinton Fowler. It's time for Fowler's Facts. There's so many resources now in the sport. Also want to give a shout out. Saw Ryan Villopoto on hand this weekend. Also, he's got the Title 24 podcast with Dean and Ricky Carmichael. So, so many different ways to break this down. We'll use the numbers here, Clinton. First, we want to talk about Jet Lawrence and uh, finally finally getting that triple crown win. But to me, this wasn't that big a deal. We already knew Jet was the best guy. To me, some point, it was bound to happen, and it finally did. Yep, he finally broke the curse, Weege. Pretty impressive ride. 
you know, the thing that really stood out to me when I dove into the numbers, he was fastest in 19 of 33 laps. So not only did he break the curse, but he did it in a pretty dominating fashion in Glendale. That got me thinking, how many laps has he been fastest in the whole season? Guys, 80 of 130 total laps he's been fastest. So 62% of the time, he has been fastest on the track. Daniel, it, it kind of highlights he's ready for that big bike. Well, it tells me a couple of things. Number one, obviously, speed is not an issue. But it makes me think about actually the way he's been racing at times because we've seen him, Jason, kind of go into this management mode where we feel like he's just kind of watching the field, doing his thing. So to hear that number, it's impressive. But Jason, I kind of think it could be maybe even worse if he wanted it to be. Yeah, I think and it could like, be higher than 62. I just don't yeah. think he plays it that way. Yeah. Exactly. And then to Clinton's point, is he ready for the big bike? I see his frustration when he wins. Ricky talked about that. That's a pure sign that he's ready to move on. And it is. This class to him is, is no longer a testing ground. He's just getting through it. He's ready for that next chapter. That's clear to see. Okay, so he has speed on a 450 for sure. And another rider who definitely does, I feel like we talk about this every week, is the Justin Barsha resurgence here. And here's what I noticed from the floor. He is matching Eli Tomac in that final race of the year. These two guys have raced each other. I'm going to just... This is not your numbers. These are mine. A billion times, I think, since they were probably <laughs> nine years old. And look, Barsha's always been good. But Eli Tomac is second all-time in Supercross wins. The amount of nights where Justin Barsha's speed can match Eli Tomac is pretty rare. But he's doing it this year. That was another really good run. Yeah, Weege, impressive night. Um, I love your billions, that. Um, I'll have exactly. to go back and verify that one. Okay. <laughs> um, but you know what? In Glendale, dude, he was fastest in two of three of those triple crown races two of three of the races Barsha was fastest in the first in the first triple crown race he was he set four of the top 10 laps finished third just behind Tomac and Webb not as good in the second he didn't get quite the start finished sixth in and then in the third race I mean two of the top 10 fastest laps as you said he just hung with Eli the entire time pretty impressive speed Guys, here's another one. Two people have been in the top five since Daytona. Krupa Webb and Justin Barsha. Barsha could end up playing the X Factor here, Daniel. That would be terrible for Webb and Tomac if he did because he's such a menace. He makes so much noise. When you're around him, you know it's him. And yeah, Jason, he's fired up. He, he, he's caught up in whatever's going on right now uh, with this, this new Barsha. He's happy, he's playful, he's funny, and all of a sudden he is just shredding on everybody. So if you're in a title fight, Jason, do you want Justin Barsha around making all that noise? No? no? Well, it already happened. I mean, he already added another position between Tomac and Webb. And if you're Webb, you got to hope, well, maybe it'll work the other way around. And we've been teasing it all week. There's still Aaron Plessinger. There's still Jason Anderson. He did get up from that crash. I think he's okay. There's still Ken Roxon. And then there's still Chase Sexton. And who knows, man? We're looking normally at Sexton. He's a full race behind in points. I don't know. I tend to think that each weekend you're going to see bigger swings than we're used to in this championship, Clinton. I mean, you've seen the times. Any one of these guys can finish in between. Yeah, I mean, you look at it. Tomac's seven points up on Webb. That's the difference between first and fourth. Well, hey, we've just talked about Sexton. We've just talked about Barsha. You throw in Plessinger. You throw in Roxon, who had an incredible race at Indy. Seven points, maybe not that much. These guys are going to play a role from now till then, Clinton. Like you said, the, the point swing of seven, 
we could see that happen a couple more times before the end. Great for the fans. Great for the fans. It is. All right. Thanks for joining us, Clinton. We'll see you next week. Time to wrap up this episode of SMX Insider Championship rolling to Atlanta Motor Speedway. This is interesting. It's a day race. So adjust your clocks here, everybody. Race day live will start at 9.30 a.m. Good luck with the early rehearsal and show up time there, Daniel. This is all to have a three o'clock window live on NBC, which is always huge for the sport. The timing is perfect. Coming off the Glendale race where Tomax got the glory, Webb's going to be frustrated all week long. What better place than Atlanta Motor Speedway to bring them together, throw it live on NBC at 3 o'clock, and get to this next chapter of this championship story. I can't wait. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are thinking, well, this is a speedway track. It's going to be all Tomac like Daytona, but Atlanta's different. Even he admits that. And Webb has had great races here. His stretch run when we had three races in Atlanta in 2021, he was a beast. So do not count Webb out of this championship yet. But right now, Tomac's feeling the vibes. How about this? The one last thing we want to show you, this is 11.30 p.m., an hour and a half after the race. Eli is still in his gear and still signing autographs for young fans. Is that Travis Pastrana? Because that was the Travis Pastrana thing, right? Stick around, yeah. sign autographs. No. Look, when you're Eli Tomac and you are where you are in your career, you're having this success, I have to imagine there's a feeling of gratitude um, just for everything that he's achieved. So to stick around and make meaningful moments to these fans and these kids, that's special. And it's so awesome to see Eli just taking that in and showing his gratitude late in his career. Well, the fans are backing him more than ever, and you can tell he's enjoying himself at the races more than ever. I read an interview with Eric Johnson recently where he said this is the most enjoyable phase of his entire racing career, and I think the fans feel that, and then he feels the love from them, and they feel the love from him, and it's just been a Tomac celebration. But do not count, again, all these other contenders out as we head to Atlanta, and we'll have all the coverage after that race right here. Thanks for watching SMX Insider.